Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome back to the Rob Manis Show. We are live once again. Are we facing a world war with China and Russia uh, as America evolves into whatever it is for our next look? Many on both sides of the aisle are finally beginning to realize what the real biggest threat to freedom is. And it's called the Chinese Communist Party in charge of the nation of China. The Chinese have brought themselves to parity or even overtaken American military and economic power, not just in the Pacific, but worldwide. We know this because we see the Chinese military flexing its muscle almost daily now in the Pacific and economically, China has global influence uh, throughout uh, the world through its belt initiative. When the Chinese Air Force puts large numbers of combat aircraft into the Taiwan Straits, runs live fire anti-aircraft carrier military war games just north of Luzon in the Philippines, and makes more inroads into places like Iran, Afghanistan, and the rest of the Middle East, the very real possibility of a great power confrontation looms. But add to that the aggressiveness against NATO and the Ukraine by Putin's Russia in Eastern Europe, and one can easily see that the looming great power war wouldn't only be between China and the USA, but more than likely would see Russia allied with China against NATO and the West. Does all this mean war is inevitable? No, absolutely not. But non-kinetic options are dwindling rapidly and America must continue to lead and ramp up opposition to the Chinese Communist Party's attempt to take the West lock, stock, and barrel. Today, we'll be discussing all this in depth with Senior Defense Department official, retired Colonel John Mills. John, sir, welcome back to The Rob Mena Show. Hey, thank you, Rob. It's always an honor to be here. Yeah, and I messed up your introduction. You're also retired from DOT, too, so you're not a current uh, senior DOD official. Uh, it's good to see you, John. I appreciate all the work that you're doing. Uh, uh, folks, Mr. Mills' bio uh, is long and deep and wide when it comes to protecting this country, and he's done a lot of great work. And today, uh, he's been studying the, the China issue for a long time, knows a lot about it, and I just want to let the audience know that there is going to be probably some breaking news during the hour, and that is that the officer Derek Chauvin uh, trial uh, jury has reached a verdict, but it has not been announced yet. Uh, so we may talk about that towards the end of this show. But really, what we need to do right now, John, is give this audience a a review of what the strategic situation really looks like because we can't trust the news anymore we can't trust the media we can't trust the u.s government intel agencies uh so from your perspective uh and you've been there you've studied this uh you understand it uh where are we at from a strategic perspective in the world today as it pertains to china's new military might and, and ongoing economic strengthening and Russia being aggressive in Europe. Well, uh, you know, thank you, Rob. It's uh, 
almost a little difficult where to begin. I don't think I've ever seen such a precarious situation uh, in my lifetime, even as, uh, remember, you and I grew up and lived through an era where we had massive nuclear forces at the ready to launch against each other. We often had nuclear weapons at missile silos, at bomber bases, at Nike missile sites right close to uh, urban areas in our cities and our towns. But there, there seemed to be, uh, uh, even with the, the Republican-Democrat discord, there seemed to be a sense, uh, in, in most ways, a, a sense of unity, kind of disintegrated during the 70s. Uh, Reagan came in and, and said, uh, well, we're going we're gonna to put the Soviets out of business, and we did. Yeah, it's a little dif different nowadays. Now, on the domestic and home front, and I just had an article come out in Epic Times, the United States of two Americas. We are a divided nation. We are blue and red. And uh, we do have a president in office, a vice president in office, but uh, cackling does not executive leadership make. It's this yeah. baffling situation where we almost have a, a president and a vice president who really aren't the president and vice president by their, by their own behavior. Uh, that's dangerous in today's environment. That sends a certain signal to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, but it, it not is all lost in, in the United States. I think we're, in many ways, it's really the governors that are stepping up. The centers of gravity in the United States are no longer Washington, D.C. It's Austin, it's Tallahassee, and most important, it's Mar-a-Lago. So that's really, and the population flows are going at a stampede from blue to red. And, uh, really? The, uh, the, red side of the, the red side of the slate controls food production, they control energy, and a lot of the financial firms are beginning to leave New York City. So what does this all have to do with the CCP? It has to do a lot. Uh, so the CCP is receiving puzzling signs, but as messed up as we are in this country, not all is well inside of China, which makes right. them dangerous too, because she is under immense pressure to deliver, deliver a lot of things, deliver a quality of life, uh, deliver an economy to the, the people of China. And it really actually isn't going that well inside of China. They're essentially broke. They need the, they need our food. They are huge net importers and we are that breadbasket. We have huge leverage over them. They need energy. And up until the previous president left office, I don't know the exact current stats, we were dominating world energy production. We called the shots on energy. We called the shots on food. The third thing, China needs is access to our capital. They need access to the American capital market. And if they can't get to it, they are going to try every canard, every ploy to get around the Securities and Exchange Commission, whether it be a fake ant group IPO, could be a, a variety of things. They need that liquidity. And we are the only place that we dominate the financial market. We oftentimes didn't realize it, didn't act like it. But uh, President Trump knew those three factors and many more we dominated. So she's under immense pressure inside of China, which makes, it makes that situation dangerous. They're trying to read the tea leaves here. Uh, they see vacuous leadership uh, and they are, they are on the move because 
Uh, it's now or nothing. They see a closing window with Taiwan. They see uh, they're running out of runway internally on their on their economy. They need to do something. She needs to do something to deliver, or else he has to be watching his back for the uh, the ranks of the the next tier down inside of his uh, out of his uh, his own leadership. So, John, so, if I understand you correctly, it's your assessment that we we are not in a really bad position from a from the perspective of the United States and the West vis-a-vis -vis China at this point, but we could be, uh, right? Did I get that correct? Well, yes. I mean, uh, we, we have to be absolutely clear on our articulation of U.S. government policy. Now, now, now Secretary of Blinken at State, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call it for what it is. I mean, he has actually done pretty well. I mean, he's actually about 97% Trump. He said, uh, he said Trump had it right on, on China. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw stones at the current administration. Uh, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I'm going to be intellectually honest. Blinken has actually done reasonably well. Uh, Kurt Campbell on the NSC, the lead China, uh, 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 the lead for China has actually done pretty well. Uh, it didn't turn out well in Anchorage. Yeah, that I'm again, I'm going to call it honestly. It didn't tur turn out well. Uh, and I think hopefully they learned that they're going to have to become more like Trump than they want to be. Uh, yeah. They said they were going to sand off the rough edges of Trump. They need to bring back the rough edges of Trump. That's what kept China at bay. And they know it mm -hmm. in their heart of hearts of heart. They know it. They just don't know how to act like it. But Blinken has actually done reasonably well. Kurt Campbell's reasonably well. Eli Ratner, the advisor at DOD, is is done reason reasonably well. Uh, but it's extremely dangerous. They're they're surging aircraft. They're surging, and and as you know, uh, surging the aircraft. It's all about aircraft maintenance. It's all about logistics yeah. and maintenance. So either they have really good crews. Uh, ground maintenance crews, or they have a whole lot of backup aircraft. They can they can cycle through the process. I think they have more backup aircraft, uh, uh, really. Uh, well, well, since they professionalized their armed forces, uh, you know, about three thirty years ago, uh, and got them out of the the whole Communist Party issue from a from a uh, war fighting perspective, not not from a political perspective. Uh, they probably do have about fifty fifty you know, uh, good, good, really good maintenance crews. And, uh, but they all always build, uh, just a boatload to use a technical term of backup systems when they're looking at their war fighting platforms, especially, uh, because they don't over-engineer them like we do. And, uh, uh, much like the old Soviet union did, they go with the minimal engineering and, and usually those are uh, pretty reliable from a technical perspective. But, but, you know, John, you mentioned Secretary Blinken, and I, I agree with you. I, I think, I think he's, he, he's done okay. I think he was caught with his pants down uh, on that meeting with the Chinese. As you said, he, he was surprised by that and, and caught off guard. I think his whole team was because they just don't know how to act like realists uh, when it comes to foreign policy. Uh, and... Uh, Hopefully they'll uh, keep advisors on board and bringing some on board that can add that type of thinking to it because it's real. We're in a we're in a we may not be in a completely precarious situation, but we're in a in a really iffy situation when they see 
uh, as the Russians and Chinese obviously do, weakness internally in the country. And you, you briefly touched on that, the red and blue uh, states of America. Uh, that, that is true. As a matter of fact, I read your article, and, I, and I'm going to do a separate video editorial using your article uh, to send out later this week uh, on a uh, pre-recorded live uh, presentation because it was so good. Uh, it reminded me of everything that we've been talking about the last uh, few years. So I think they smell weakness. They see it, uh, and uh, you'll see with the Chauvin verdict, it won't matter whether he's found guilty or not guilty. It really won't matter. Uh, I think you're going to see violence in some major cities uh, tonight. I hope not. I hope not, but I think you're going to see it. And every time that occurs, uh, then uh, the Chinese and the Russians see it as even more weakness, and that's what concerns me, you know. STRATCOM, the U.S. Strategic Command, that's America's nuclear forces uh, command, actually put out a statement, and I'll paraphrase it, uh, this morning that said something to the effect of we've got to be prepared to face adversaries that, that find themselves uh, with no other option than nuclear weapons. Yeah, this, this is a concerning. Uh, she and the CCP look at this as only one way, they win, we lose. They are going to retire us peacefully or otherwise. Nothing is off the table. I repeat, nothing is off the table. I'm convinced the original bio uh, virus out of the bio lab at Wuhan, I'm convinced it was an accident. And I noticed CNN has just now after after over a year has just come on board and said, yeah, it came out of Wuhan, but it was likely an accident. I think I think the initial release was an accident, but when they saw how much chaos and how much it, they, hey, they feel, hey, we threw an election. Hey, we, we essentially took yeah. down or destabilized the United States. Well, if we do that with an accident, well, what about if we engineer it? I'm, I'm convinced we're actually in a second, third or fourth wave of an engineered virus. So nothing is off the table and that includes nuclear weapons. And that's what is so uh, uh, most Americans don't get. This is uh, this is not like the Soviet Union who does seem to respond to to force and does seem to respond to resolve, determination and deterrence. The Chinese are in this to win. Okay? Yeah. They lose 150 million, you know, that's not even 10% of their country. We lose 150. That's everybody in Canada, everybody in Australia, and a good chunk of the United States. Yeah. Okay. I'm I I everybody needs to take one thing away. Nothing is off the table. And if that means nuclear strikes against American cities, uh, against US sovereign territory. Absolutely, because if they move on Taiwan, and I'm not actually convinced that their first move will be on Taiwan. It may be on the Philippines. If I was a PLA staff planner, do I want to try our first uh, our first landing, a hostile landing on Taiwan? Or do I want to pick a, a softer, easier target like the Philippines that essentially has no you know, no real serious standing military force? Yeah, I'd, I'd rather go for the Philippines. And uh, is uh, is the world going to react if they just take northern Luzon or Luzon? Um, maybe, maybe not. But a bloody apocalypse on Taiwan, 
uh, it's going to be bad. And remember, this is not about Taiwan. This stopped being about Taiwan 10 years ago. This is now, this is about essentially two things. One is essentially access to the, to the electronic chips at TSMC, the world leader in production of, of, of uh, trusted microelectronics and chips. And we are, we're even having an economic slowdown in the United States because of the lack of those chips, much of which they come from TSMC in Taiwan. So this is about those chips. China desperately needs those chips. They blew three to five billion trying to clone TSMC with their own company called HSMC. It didn't work. It was a belly flop. And they just they just announced they, they couldn't do it, which is surprising. I've never seen a CCP announcement like that. So this is about access to the chips, and this is about securing... Uh, creating a forward operating base so they can go north against Japan, forward against Guam, uh, which is sovereign U.S. territory, and the northern Marianas, Saipan and Tinian, and uh, uh, go south. But again, if I'm a PLA planner, do I really want to make my first opposed landing against Taiwan, or do I want an easier target? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, Taiwan, Taiwan is interesting. Is I don't, I don't, I don't think, think most people, people really, really understand understand what's happening with the background on that uh, and why it's so key. Uh, what are some of the things that you're hearing from naval warfare planners and air planners and ground planners as to what makes Taiwan such a key piece to this? Other than they need the chip manufacturing, but they'll have to make the Taiwanese do that. Do that if they invade the country. Uh, well, is there some other reason why they want? They really just need to get Taiwan under the, fully under the Chinese Communist Party's uh, thumb. So to speak. yeah, those those days of the the argument of reunification are essentially gone and over. The Taiwanese uh, stopped feeling Chinese about 15 years ago. And the CCP always knew that once the, the majority of the population no longer felt Chinese, that they had lost it. And, and they, get, uh, they, they, they make it very clear, we are not Chinese, we are Taiwan, we are Taiwanese. And that is actually a different ethnicity and there actually is a different, uh, a different, different uh, lineage. Um, and a lot of the legacy KMT have aged out, gone away, moved away, no longer in power. So a lot of those who came over with Chiang Kai-shek in 49 uh, and they've intermarried, uh, they've, 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 they've brought families back from other countries. So Taiwan has radically changed. It is a sovereign, independent nation and needs to be recognized as such, even though it isn't in the U.N., but yet yeah, China needs the chips. And if they, if they demolish Taiwan, they won't have the chips. They won't have the population. They won't have the chips. So there's another reason. Do I just want to take Taiwan by asymmetric means or just mm -hmm. a fait accompli that, hey, Taiwan, it's your time to just, you know, just give it up and come over to our side, which, you know, up until five years ago, they still had a very significant little green man force uh, in the KMT, the, now the opposition party. Right. Um, in Taiwan, but yeah, they need they need they need to take Taiwan, but they need to take it so they don't destroy it, and not because they care about the people. They don't care about the people in Taiwan. It's the landmass. It's the chip and chip manufacturing. It's being able to use it as a forward operating base for further projection, and that's essentially the they want to essentially create a buffer, a periphery, just like the Soviets always. The Soviets and the Russians always, always, always 
talk about periphery, periphery right. states. They, they always felt an ownership of all those periphery states. And that goes back to czarist, pre-czarist times. <clears throat> yeah, I think the term that the Russians use is called the near abroad, you know, the, the, the ring of the Ukraine and, uh, and those other states uh, like Belarus and those kind of things. Uh, they always, in Poland, they always wanted to have that buffer zone, especially after, uh, uh, even before Hitler, but especially after World War II, uh, where they almost got annihilated. So it's not surprising that the Chinese communists would look at similar uh, types of things, but I see them as really much bigger than Russia uh, and the old Soviet threat because they, they have really built their economy uh, with our help and the West's help. Uh, you mentioned financial uh, resources and uh, systems, uh, and, and, and that is... I think what makes them such a large threat and an adversary, not even a, a near peer, but a peer adversary, I believe at this point in world history is what we're seeing with China. Uh, and uh, the satellites like Russia and North Korea will likely uh, get in orbit around a, a strong China that's challenging the West and, and the United States, don't you think? Yeah. Um well, China feels, uh, I, I'm reading uh, Stephen Mosher's book, um, and uh, it's not behind me right now. Sorry, Stephen, I apologize, uh, because it's upstairs on my, on my reading table. Uh, but Stephen Mosher's uh, uh, book on China that just came out, I mean, they look at this in the long game uh, through their, their long history of dynasties that were extremely brutal, and it was a... They, these, these dynasties were about absolute totalitarianism. They didn't care how many hundreds of thousands or millions they, they made suffer or died or were killed in their endless wars with each other. China, it's all about the Han imperialism of the, of the core Han lineage. And uh, I don't want to get too technical here, but uh, again, the Han is the core ethnicity, essentially a I think it's about 93% of China, <clears throat> but also uh, there's an inner core of Han ethnicity. So this is all about Han supremacy, which is no different than Aryan supremacy during uh, uh, Herr Hitler's uh, reign of terror. And uh, this is what they're, they're, they're all about, is they feel it's their day in the sun. They feel it's their turn to dominate, not just the, the Pacific theater, not just the Indo-Pacific theater, but the entire world. It's everybody's turn to bow down to them in the world. And they don't really care how many people die to uh, make that point. And again, yeah. 150 million to them, not even 10% of their population, barely a little, maybe a little over if you're saying 1.4 is their current uh, population, 1.4 billion. But yeah, um, I think, uh, I think I think that's a good comparison with Mr. Hitler, uh, Herr Hitler there in the Nazi party. Uh, you know, I mean, the Chinese uh, Hans have put up concentration camps and, and put the Uyghur population into these camps. So they're basically committing, uh, well, they are, it's not even basically, they're committing genocide, uh, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, they're threatening their neighbors uh, that uh, with all kinds of, threats, not just military, but economic and, 
and doing that kind of bullying. So it's very, very similar uh, track, except this is a nuclear armed state with sea launch ballistic missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles, long range bombers, cruise missiles, stealth technology uh, that uh, they were able to get from us, uh, nuclear warhead miniaturization technology, which is very important when reaching the continental United States uh, from wherever they launched, that they got from us, thanks to uh, President Bill Clinton and his administration. Uh, so uh, that is a very, very risky situation. And then when you combine that with the internal problems the uh, United States is facing, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it really has to get your attention because our, our point here is, look, I'm anti-war. Uh, I think you are, John, uh, and a lot of us that do national security, we are anti-war. We, we did and do what we do to prevent that type of uh, great power conflagration, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Nothing is going to come out of a good out of a kinetic conflict with China, especially when uh, nothing is off the table. If it means nuclear strikes against sovereign U.S. territory, Guam, Hawaii, Alaska, the West Coast of the United States, uh, believe me, they will do it. And uh, it'll be uh, pain and suffering, uh, which we have essentially never seen. So uh, this is very concerted. We need to be on our A game. We need to deter and Blinken's team and uh, uh, Kurt Campbell and the entire DOD need to be focused on deterrence. So any of this silliness of focusing on virtue signaling and uh, social engineering and yeah. turning uh, little, little boys into little girls is not going to impress the uh, CCP. So we need to, this is about a showdown and, and the Chinese are willing to pull it, push it right up to the edge and over. So we'd get it better, get ready. So, so talking yeah. about, we just got our tactical nukes back in the Tomahawks, uh, in, in our Naval forces, uh, God forbid we should pull those back as a virtue signal to the Chinese. That would be extremely bad. Uh, the yeah. only thing, the only message they would take out of that is that we don't have the stomach to uh, go to a showdown with them. And that is a very bad situation. So this is about classic deterrence, 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 deterrence. <clears throat> this means yeah. uh, we have to demonstrate resolve. We have to demonstrate strength. And uh, anything else actually precipitates, accelerates the likelihood of conflict. So uh, the, we we've got to be uh, we've got to be on our A game. I mean that the the, the, mm -hmm. the last two years the acceleration of the the Chinese naval buildup has been breathtaking. That doesn't mean they have the operational art yet to understand how to use their naval forces. That doesn't mean they know how to do logistic sustainment of projection of naval forces, uh, repair of uh, repair and sustainment of naval vessels. Um, but just the sheer numbers and quality, oftentimes in many ways, almost clone copies of our, our, our uh, ships, yeah. uh, is, is, has really in some ways caught us off guard. Uh, even though Trump was pushing DOD, uh, Navy just oftentimes, unfortunately, which is, it, this is going to be a Navy and Air Force game. I'm, I'm Army. I, I was Army, but I'm joint. I'm purple. I'm JPME4 qualified. You know, my last 
even over and above senior service colleges, their JPME education to become joint. And I'm a joint guy. And this is first and foremost, a Navy and Air Force show. If it means yeah. we have to bring down Army uh, and strength to support plus ups in a Navy and Air Force, so be it. There's no law that says the Army has to be the largest uh, by headcount of uh, the services. So if we need to do or if we need to reflag Army units as being essentially naval units or Air Force units, if we pick a bunch of engineer unit, Army engineer units, essentially label them Navy and Air Force to make sure Navy and Air Force mm -hmm. has the engineering capacity to yep. uh, uh, maintain, repair, and return to service airfields, naval facilities, so be it. But, what do you uh, think about, uh, you know, it is a, a time to show strength versus weakness, especially with the internal issues going on. Uh, what do you think about putting uh, a so-called tripwire, American tripwire force on Taiwan? Uh, that would certainly send a message, but, you know, uh, maybe my history is keeping me from being as bold as we should be in my thinking here, but I... I I'm afraid that would be uh, a step too far as far as showing strength. What What are your thoughts on that? Because I'm hearing some suggestions like that around the, yeah. uh, that well, type well, of uh, capability proposal. We, we have, uh, it was called the Taiwan Travel Act, which some dismissed as just, well, it's just an act of Congress. Well, an act of Congress is still actually effectively a U.S. law. Um, so, so I don't think it should be dismissed, but the, the, uh, Taiwan travel act actually encouraged senior level travel of military general officers and, and, uh, flag officers, uh, meaning admirals to, to go back and forth for planning purposes and dialogue and engagement with Taiwanese. That's extremely important. We need to have the battle staffs talk to each other and coordinate with each other and walk through the different exercises so everybody knows who's supposed to be doing what. So when the bullets start flying, we, we've, we've at least exercised staff processes. Very important. Yeah. So uh, I, I think, and now there is, you have to, uh, we, we ask that it not be really advertised. Uh, I think we, we essentially uh, discourage U.S. media from covering but if you look hard enough, you'll find uh, uh, Asian media, so essentially basically out of Taiwan, uh, small U.S. units uh, going back and forth, uh, landing on Taiwan and actually doing training exercises. I mean, this is huge. This is historic. We mm -hmm. ask that it be kept, you know, just minimize it. We don't ask that, a, that it really be, uh, be advertised, communicated as such. But this is, this is ongoing and it continues this day. So... Um, and, and again, oftentimes, and this is very typical, even though the Biden administration may have uh, uh, spoken uh, ill of the Trump administration on, on many of their uh, China things, it's just, it's very common. Once an administration sets precedent, it's a lot easier for the administration coming behind to essentially, even though they might have complained about it, essentially yeah. do the same thing because uh, the precedent has been set. So th those training and some kind of tripwire, in addition to the training, uh, would make logical sense. Cacheting of uh, small stocks of ammunition, uh, having small, small units go forward on a rotational basis, uh, starting to integrate into the Taiwanese plans. We, we, we don't want to make the mistake of South Vietnam and the Vietnamese War, where, you know, is yeah. the, South, you know the South Vietnamese, I mean, 
what in the world should we fight for our own country for? We got this massive behemoth of the Americans, you know. So we don't want to we don't want to repeat that mistake. You know, this is this yeah. is first and foremost a Definitely. Taiwan battle. There has to be Taiwan skin in the game. But we also want to make it clear to them if they fight for themselves, we will back them up. So that's that's very very important. So yeah, some forward forward uh, provisioning, uh, but we we've got to work. Uh, I was just looking at a map today on a project on uh, just the atoll that runs essentially from the northern Mariana, Mariana Islands. Uh, that's yeah. uh, Tinian and Saipan, mm -hmm. and that is sovereign territory down to Guam, which is a separate. A piece of sovereign territory. It's not the same thing, right. uh, but then you keep on going on essentially that 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 huge undersea mountain range. You hit Ulithia Toll, which was uh, essentially epic uh, from the, the the pictures during the peak of our naval buildup during the Second World War. As we move forward, see mm -hmm. Ulithia Toll filled with just hundreds and hundreds of combat vessels. It was the famous murderer's row where you'd see these incredible black and white photos of, of uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 American and British aircraft carriers lined up ready to move out on their next raid. So yeah. Ulithia Toll is very important. And then next is Palau. And so mm -hmm. we're working with Palau. We're working with Ulithia. Uh, we're working with um, the Northern Guam and the Northern Marianas to, to essentially reconstitute airfields reconstitute capacity and this is one of the most important things of, the, of a of a naval and air centric uh showdown with china in the pacific it's all about essentially the ability to uh, regenerate aircraft and ships in a forward area so we that means we need we need to return uh we need to fabricate rapidly and deploy floating dry docks so that we can repair ships uh, we can bring bring a ship out of water and do do repairs on scale. Uh, so we need to massively retrofit the the harbor at Guam uh, to, and 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 also add the capability to for over and above what it is now to uh, uh, repair battle battle repair ships forward. Uh, we need more airfields. We need dispersion. The key thing is dispersion. It's a forgotten Absolutely. it's a forgotten art form ever since the peace dividend. Um, you see all these American aircraft at these bases, they're all lined up wingtip to wingtip. I thought we learned our lesson at Pearl Harbor. Well, it's no, a lot, we didn't. Uh, it's, it's a lot more administratively easy. You know, that base commander, it's a lot easier to and efficient when you can just line those aircraft up. You know, if you if you disperse them out, disperse them or disperse them out to hardened shelters, you know, it's it's much harder to run the base. Yeah, John, much like you, I, I went to Joint Forces Staff College. I'm a joint officer myself, uh, and, uh, you know, one, one of the uh, larger wargaming uh, simulations that I was involved in the planning and execution on was was actually a, an attack on Guam by, China, by the Chinese. Uh, and, uh, you know, since we had all of our forces centrally located there, essentially doing the Pearl Harbor thing, uh, you know, all they had to do was launch 400 rudimentary cruise missiles at us, uh, and it completely uh, took uh, most of the force out of the fight for a long period of time. And and you're not talking about permanently destroying something, but when you take take a force that's everything there on the island, 
uh, out of the fight for 24 hours in modern warfare, that's an indeterminate impact on uh, whether you can successfully defend yourself or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I one of my last things before I retired from uh, Office of Secretary of Defense is uh, uh, I got to do a trip to the Pacific to several mm -hmm. facilities uh, with a number of DOD seniors to essentially assess readiness. And so this is January 17. We were literally overseas during the uh, during the inauguration. Really annoyed me. Yeah. Um, and this is seven years, seven years into the Pacific pivot, Pacific pivot. Okay. And well, what, what we saw, there was a lot that needed to be done. A lot that needed to be done. Seven years into the Pacific pivot. Where, where did our time and resources go? And everybody, you know, the uh, Kurt Campbell was at, was at, uh, uh, I believe he was at state during the Obama years. And he was the, the architect of the Pacific pivot. Mm -hmm. I, I was all for the Pacific pivot. It was great. It was the right thing to do under the Obama administration. One, one small yeah. problem, the Pacific pivot hit at the same time. Uh, Gates got told to ax the department and we had to bring down army and strength from like 585 to 450. It was a blood, it was a bloodbath. And so it was a massive downsizing. So we're going to do a Pacific pivot. But we're going to do a massive downsizing in DOD. Well, that's really not much of a Pacific pivot. No, not really. Uh, and and then uh, under sequestration, forcing the services to use their operations and readiness and training accounts to uh, 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 to uh, to cut those too under the sequester, not allowing them to move dollars around to uh, keep their operations, maintenance, and readiness accounts full uh, in the middle of a war. Put us at the by the time I left the Air Force as a commander in, in 2011, late 2011, uh, our operational readiness reporting was uh, at a point that I had never seen in my entire uh, career, 32 and a half plus years and through a lot of different uh, presidents and uh, administrations. So it was uh, it was not a good thing. And now we find ourselves and this this is the other thing, you know, the, the other part of this scenario is is uh, that, yeah, we're kind of in a precarious position based on our internal domestic weaknesses that the outside sees going on. Uh, and I and do you think that's why Russia has all of a sudden become more aggressive? I mean, they they I, I read reports that they have moved more force into eastern uh, the eastern border of Ukraine than they had. When uh, when they were actually in a shooting war, a cross border war with the separatists uh, on the side of the Russians, uh, yeah. Now they are completely uh, mobilizing toward that area. Do you see that as them being us as weak and potentially not able to respond? Yeah, yeah. I think the term is opportunistic. Opportunistic. Um, mm -hmm. This is an unresolved stalemate since 2014. Uh, the, the, the Russian military is a shadow of what it used to be. And that's, you know, the, the game is China. The main game is China. You know, there's all this talk of a, of a China-Russia, uh, you know, agreement or treaty or, you know, their allies. Uh, you look at their history since the Second, uh, Second, Second World War. 
You know, one of the bloodiest, uh, which almost became a nuclear exchange, was their border conflict. I think it was 68, 69. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's an odd relationship they have, but I think they might possibly see uh, that they have kindred spirits, at least for the immediate time, if uh, Russia could mass enough force, and I, I hear, I'm hearing numbers about 100, 125,000, which in today's terms for what's left of the Russian military, that's huge. Yeah. Um, so, so potentially they could be massing to actually make a decisive move and move forward and break the stalemate with the Ukraine, which has been bloody and unproductive. And it's, it's just like Afghanistan is just really sapped the, the, the Russian psyche, the Russian spirit, the Russian budget, the Russian military. Uh, so, but that's, Keeping that front going and operations in Syria, um, you know, that pretty much maxes out Russia. But yeah. if they made a, a coordinated bum rush into Ukraine at the same time, uh, China makes a uh, an, an overt uh, kinetic move, that would be very hard for us to to handle. Uh, uh, so yeah. that that would be a precarious and dangerous situation. Uh, yeah, but, and I but, think they know that. I'm, I'm sure yeah. they know that. Uh, do you think they would risk losing that warm water port in Syria? That's what they have always uh, stayed there for. Well, um, I, I think it's they're really, uh, you know, again, um, Putin uh, and the economy have just, you know, it's 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 a criminal uh, gangster economy. So he's really never seen. Uh, you know, things go well for him. And especially remember uh, what broke his back was our uh, our ability because he lived off of Gazprom and oil and gas. Yeah. When we dominated, when we took the shackles off and dominated energy production, it essentially bankrupted Putin. And, yeah. uh, and, and it was the right thing to do. Everybody, liberals for a year, you know, Democrats for years saying, well, we need to break this dependency on, you know, Middle East oil. Okay. Here we are. We did. We're, we did. They're, they're actually dependent on us now. So, exactly. uh, yeah. So, I mean, what? Is it? They'll never be happy. So, that was the right strategic move to do: unleash American energy potential, turn it on, baby, drill, baby, drill, and we broke the Russians, and uh, we essentially made it very difficult for the Chinese. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is there a possible coordinated push? We'll see. I don't put a whole lot of merit in this this conjecture of a strategic treaty between the two of them. You know, these treaties never totally work out with the Axis powers. They can't do a right. whole lot for each other. Um, but if they just, if nothing else, agree and have a head nod is they both surge at the same time, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that would be rough for us. That would be rough for us. I'm, I'm an optimist. Uh, I think even despite our domestic chaos, uh, uh, I think we will, uh, I think we can handle it. Uh, but I, I think we would need to talk about the 25th Amendment and putting somebody serious in office, not uh, somebody who doesn't know where they are and somebody who cackles a whole lot. <laughs> that kind of puts us in a bad position because they'd have the 25th Amendment, both the president and vice president, wouldn't they? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Put somebody <laughs> serious in. Maybe that was an inappropriate shot, and I and I and I don't mean for that. But I mean, come on, it, it works both ways. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, uh, 
President Trump couldn't hold a glass with one hand or chose to use two hands and a glass and everybody was running around shouting 25th I Amendment. I mean, come on, there's, there's just no moral equivalency here. Uh, something is something needs to be addressed there. That is a, is a very serious matter. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, uh, okay, well, you know, six, six Republican states certified votes that they probably shouldn't have certified. Uh, you know, I hold those Republican states accountable. I don't hold Biden accountable for that. Those were six Republican states that could have done the right thing. Pence could have done the right thing on the 6th of January. He choked. Yeah. So he did. Is, he did. It is who it is in, in office right now. Uh, that's exactly right. And that's what's led us to this internal uh, uh, strife increase, really. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people were being told, you need to vote uh, Donald Trump out because he's destroying the country and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the exact opposite has happened. Uh, you know, uh, Biden goes after energy independence. Boom, we're done. Uh, kills 11,000 American jobs with the XL pipeline cancellation. Boom, uh, we're done. Uh, you know, Canada is, is, uh, is uh, purposely bumping up the price of lumber. Uh, it's tripled since January, I believe, uh, because uh, they're not happy that Biden shut down the XL pipeline. That directly impacts tens of thousands of jobs in Canada, uh, you know. So just the energy independence piece of it took an arrow out of our quiver, so to speak, uh, to keep things at a peaceful level. And that's what I'm concerned about. Well, you, you know, know. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 a number of, uh, of the Democrats run around shouting Putin, 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 Putin. And these are the same folks that during the Cold War, you know, every time we wanted to point out uh, Soviet uh, intrigue, Soviet uh, treachery, or they said, well, there really is no, you know, it's just like Antifa. It's just an idea. They really aren't that bad. These are the same folks who lectured us over and over again that there really was no Soviet threat during the Cold War. Now that the mm -hmm. Soviets collapsed and are just a vapor of what they used to be, they want to run around shouting Russia, 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 uh, and ignore China, China, China. And I'm saying, well, if you guys hate Russia so much, number one thing you could do is let us produce energy, and then you'll really knock out Russia. So what do you want here? Do you, you know, to them, Russians are behind every tree. They're the source of all evil. China is just misunderstood. Well, okay, then ramp up energy production if that's the case. That's exactly. Do the right things for the American yeah, people. I mean, out of business, I, ramp up energy production. I am just completely, I, I, I am flabbergasted that the uh, Democrat administration keeps doing things that are so unpopular with the American people. The ener energy independence was hugely popular with most of the American people. Right. Uh, you know, when you don't win Americans, the vote, when you don't win the vote, you and you still achieve victory. You can do whatever you want. You're exactly right, uh, and there may be folks out there that disagree with John and I, but but you know what? Fifty-one percent of Americans, fifty-one American voters, believe that the presidential election was stolen, folks, uh, and. Uh, there's not much you can get around that because that's an increase from 47% uh, in late November of 2020. Uh, 
that means that the American people in their wisdom have been looking at the facts, what few facts have been coming out and what they can identify as facts outside of all the propaganda. Uh, and they're going, wow, I think something did happen. Uh, and, and that's just not Republicans. Yeah, it may be 74% Republicans, but you're talking about 57% of independents that believe that and over 30% of Democrats believe it. Uh, and that is causing huge amounts of internal strife. It resulted in a military occupation that continues in our nation's capital. Uh, and uh, that, in, that is internal weakness. Uh, and all of that, all of that is caused by decisions made by this administration and the Democrat Party and some Republicans that opposed this guy named Donald Trump because he tweeted mean stuff and he and he stood up to the to the uh, you know the media and those kind of things. Don't you agree, John? Yeah, uh, Fort Pelosi is just shameful. Uh, it is embarrassing to see Washington D.C. The, just the the story on what happened January sixth has just been so just incredibly twisted. Uh, it is just disgusting. And if anybody's intellectually serious or intellectually honest, they should be ashamed of themselves for politicizing. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, Americans have an absolute right to gather peacefully and uh, show support for a president here. Absolutely. So this is just shameful what has happened and how this has been twisted. It's been demonstrated. Uh, yeah. Of the, the Capitol Hill police officer. He did not die the way everybody was shouting. Uh, in yep. fact, essentially, uh, uh, I think it's now been reported out that essentially no one died uh, uh, other than uh, than the, the one uh, Trump, uh, uh, Ashley Babbitt, who was shot. Uh, that officer is not uh, uh, facing charges, unbelievably. This is just insane. Yep. Uh, but Fort Pelosi uh, will go down as a just a pox in American history, just a shameful overreaction of the swamp when uh, let's just be intellectually honest, intellectually true, uh, uh, appropriate forces were offered uh, for uh, to the separate but equal branch of the uh, legislative branch. Mm -hmm. They were right. turned down by Speaker Pelosi, turned down, and uh, the rest is history. I'm not, if anybody, you know, forcefully push their way into the uh in, inside the capitol you know then that's wrong and that should be investigated as such uh but there's most of it was not as it was dis displayed and articulated in the media as some kind of white separatist uh riot uh, there was yeah. a huge amount of diversity in the audience huge amount of diversity so uh, if that's the case, there was an awful lot of non-white people who must have been in on this white conspiracy. Well, there were a lot of uh, non-white people. And one of those non-white people was a guy named John Earl Sullivan. And, and folks, I see the uh, back and forth about the Capitol riot uh, on January 6th uh, between the left and the right in the comments. Sure. And, and sure. I'll just tell you, uh, here, here's the truth. The truth is uh, there were leftists uh, agent, what's called agent provocateurs there. We have John Earl Sullivan from Utah, black man, uh, on video, uh, urging people to break into the Capitol right at the balcony on the, uh, west side of the Capitol where you see the steps and then the balcony for the speaker and those kind of things. He's right there. 
Uh, it's on video, and he's been arrested, and he should have been arrested. He was arrested and released right away, and CNN and another outlet, media outlet, paid him $70,000 for the video because he was right where Ashley Babbitt was murdered. And I use the term murdered because uh, we have eyewitnesses. I've interviewed one, a, guy, a kid named, uh, a gentleman named Taylor Hansen. Uh, a few weeks ago, you can find it on my Rumble channel, The Rob Mena Show. It's a great interview, John, uh, and he was right there. He's an independent journalist uh, standing almost next to John Earl Sullivan, the, the Antifa BLM provocateur there. And uh, they saw that Ashley Babbitt made no verbal threats, uh, made no physical threats towards the officer that shot her, and the officer gave no verbal warning, and neither did any of the six officers within arm's length of Ashley Babbitt give any warning to anyone that deadly force was about to be used. It was a bad shoot, it was a murder, and the man needs to be held accountable. Just like this officer Chauvin here, people think he's being held accountable right now. Just having to go through the trial is, is some accountability. We'll see what the verdict is, but I agree with you. It it's, wasn't an insurrection, it was a riot. There were Republicans there, there were Democrats there, there were anarchists there. Uh, they, I, there was one guy carrying a Confederate flag, so I guess there was a KKK guy or something there, uh, but it was all American, all races, all genders, and the only person that was killed was by that riot was by law enforcement in a bad shoot. In a bad shoot, she was murdered, and she's an Air Force veteran, uh, was very loyal to her country, and what she was doing was what she thought she should be doing, which is supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States. Uh, and that's what we all ought to be doing, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the audience, the, the Trump supporters, uh, very diverse, oh, an incredible outpouring of support. That's absolutely lawful. And uh, so to characterize this incredible uh, outpouring of such incredible diversity of support for uh, um, their candidate, their 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 president, all of our president, all of us. He's the president of all of us. Uh, that was that's absolutely lawful, and it's just despicable that it should be displayed as anything else. Now, uh, again, if there was if there was somebody forced their way into the Capitol building, doesn't matter whether they were a provocateur or or, or a Trump supporter. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. right. um, they need to be held accountable, and we need to investigate that. But uh, we need to be we need to be honest throughout, intellectually uh, consistent throughout. Uh, and most of this was uh, was essentially a fraud. Uh, perpetrated or ran with by the media. Shameful, shameful. The country will, it'll take decades for the, for the nation to recover from this shameless politicalization of a lawful gathering. Uh, just, yeah, it's, uh, it's just despicable. And you can't let the politicians off the hook because there were politicians in the Republican and Democrat Party uh, that also have run with this lie. And it's an outright lie. There was no insurrection. There was no sedition. The two groups that have been blamed for it, Proud Boys and the and the Oath Keepers, nobody has been charged for conspiracy, sedition, or insurrection because they were talking about defending themselves from Antifa people in their text and Facebook messaging threads and, and WhatsApp uh, threads. Uh, I read uh, one of the charge sheets that, that showed those, and uh, they weren't out there doing that. And I've worked with both those groups before in the past, uh, with them securing events that I was at and uh, haven't ever seen any of these kind of things. Now, were there people that broke into the building and, and used violence? 
yeah, every one of them needs to be uh, arrested, charged, go to trial, but they shouldn't be being arrested uh, if it's just trespassing and then being held without bail. Like, I think there's over 300 people in the United States of America. Some have cancers, one's a pregnant mom, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of people that basically just walked into the building that are being held without bail. And you see that kind of treatment. And then you see the treatment from the Black Lives Matter and Antifa terrorists, the terrorists that have been raging in this country since May 26th of last year and causing billions of dollars in damage, killing uh, almost 40 people, injuring more than 700, uh, many of those police officers. Uh, and, and what happens? The current sitting vice president of the United States uh, does advertising to do fund drives to get them bailed out of jail. And they get released, most of them without any bail. And they're yeah. gone. And they're gone. You haven't seen one trial. You haven't seen any trials for them. You don't see any of those guys and gals being held without bail. Uh, and heck, they even took the climate change wacko guy with the, the Viking hat, you know, the horns and stuff on, who didn't really cause any trouble other than to walk into the building and make a speech uh, in, right in front of police officers with their help, as a matter of fact. Uh, and he is still in jail. And that's political prisoners, folks. I never thought I'd see it in the United States of America on a scale like this. I mean, every country probably has some, but, uh, and that's weakening us in the eyes of China and Russia and North Korea and Iran and Syria. And that's really, really out of bounds. Yeah, absolutely. We need to, it's going to take decades for the nation to recover from that. So with one arm, we got to, we got to handle the domestic situation with the other arm. We got to, we got to deter and, and hold off the, uh, the Chinese and the Russians. So uh, we can do this. It's going to be we difficult. But, uh, we can, it will be difficult. And, and keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, my friends, uh, uh, when somebody like Mr. Mills comes on uh, and, and spends an hour talking in detail about what is happening and what has happened, uh, he, he is not some political pundit. He's a national security professional, uh, and uh, as am I, although I've done politics too, running for office. So, uh, you know, you need to fact check me, fact check him too, uh, but the facts matter. And the fact is the United States has caused its own weakness internally, and we have a president and vice president that are not helping the situation, hopefully Blinken at state, uh, and uh, DOD and the National Security Council will continue to do the right thing and do even more of the right thing, John, and uh, we'll stay out of any kind of shooting uh, war and those kind of things because it will not be good for anyone if uh, we let deterrence fail and we could have stopped it, in my opinion. Uh, well, John, thank you very much. Uh, doesn't look like we've got the breaking news yet of the Chauvin verdict, so folks, uh, uh, stay tuned for that, and uh, we appreciate uh, retired Colonel and retired senior DOD official John Mills uh, coming on. John, how can folks find you on social media and follow you? Okay, yeah, thank you, uh, Rob. I'm uh, Colonel Rhett John, Colonel Rhett John on Gab, 
Uh, I, as soon as the uh, Lindell website is fully up and running, I'll be on there. It's been a little choppy, but hey, you know, massive deployments of IT like this, always a little choppy. But also, uh, you can find me on the 9millgroup.com, which tells a little more about uh, all my activities. Nine, The number 9, M-I-L group, 9millgroup.com. One of the tabs is on the, uh, I've set up the uh, National Election Integrity Association, which is uh, uh, really holding Virginia accountable and really unwinding the just the utter third world nature of the vote in Virginia. Uh, people yep. are squirming. They're squirming on both sides of the aisle. The Democrats have pulled a fast one, and the Republicans, uh, well, they didn't pull a fast anything. Uh, they seem to be very happy that they're losing for some reason. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm unwinding that, and we're actually going to be coming out with a major nationwide, uh, essentially a way to help out at the tactical level. Because this election, in the end, Again, I don't. I don't blame even even if there was corruption here, even if there was fraud. In the end, it was six Republican states that allowed the, these electoral votes to go forward. So I really don't get mad at Biden. Get mad at six Republican states. But I have just been overwhelmed by outreach from so many tactical workers who want to know how to retake. And it's all about the county. It's all about the county and the state. This American voting, unless God forbid HR1 passes, which we don't want it to pass, uh, is really a county. And really, even, even once it gets to the state, it's really it really starts at the county. So uh, patriots, if you don't decisively understand your county and know all the details of how, to, how the vote should work in your county, that's where it all starts. So don't come up with a master plan for the universe if you don't know about your own county. And you, it's really, so we're about to come out with a major offering to help uh, patriots at the tactical level to retake their counties. Oh, that's fantastic news, John. Thank you for revealing that to the audience because uh, uh, yeah, as you can see, I have left and right and middle folks in this audience. Uh, and, and you know what? What's important, folks? is not that Biden won, Trump lost, or Trump got stolen, or whatever. Uh, that is important, but the most important thing is, is that you, as citizens, take action. We have seen success in Georgia on the voter reform laws. Don't listen to the President of the United States or uh, Ms. Abrams talking about Jim Crow laws. I helped defeat the last Jim Crow law down here in Louisiana a couple of years ago, along with some great Democrats and, and uh, independents. We removed it, the last vestiges of Jim Crow law. There is no Jim Crow law in this country, and don't listen to those people. That is election integrity law, and it's gotta be done. I, I just heard before we came on that Montana has passed two election integrity laws, and uh, every one of those six swing states, if the legislature doesn't, Passion integrity laws, ladies and gentlemen, you need to throw them out. Get that they're going to get thrown out, and that depends entirely on you, your vote, and your activism. You can't just sit on the bench and go on because it's, it's life and death of the United States of America. And as you could hear by this conversation today, it is life and death for freedom around the world, Chinese Communist Party gets to take complete control like they are on a course to attempt to do, and they are out there working 
as we speak. Well, John, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, stay with me for a second, John. I'll be right back after my outro, and we'll talk. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, retired Colonel Mills is a, is a great American, a great patriot, uh, and he just tries to tell the truth. That's what we all want to do is tell the truth. Tell the truth. You know, if somebody's a racist, yeah, tell the truth. But if everybody's a racist, then nobody's a racist. And that word becomes inconsequential, like it is to me right now. It's inconsequential. I don't care. I have a record that proves that I'm not. Uh, I'm going to keep doing what I think is right and pushing for what I think is right. And that's what you need to do, too. And I do appreciate all coming on. Uh, please share the video when it gets published out uh, on Thursday. And uh, look for more video editorials from right here, uh, The Rob Manus Show, and I'm retired Colonel Rob Manus signing off.